Let's turn together now to Paul's letter to Ephesians and chapter number 3. And we can read at verse 14. Ephesians 3 and verse 14. For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And so on down through the following verses and the words of this prayer. Now we have been looking at the prayers of Paul and looking at the lessons we may learn from his prayers. And we come to the last of his prayers that we want to look at this evening in this chapter. And we have seen Paul's relationship with this church. We see that from Acts number 20 and the preceding chapters. We see the way in which Paul passed inland and came to Ephesus. We see the way in which he spoke to the elders at Ephesus in Acts chapter 20. And we see that he was moving on from them as far as being with them is concerned, and that they would see his face no more. And as we read this letter, we see the the rich breadth of his understanding of the grace of God and his understanding of their needs because he himself understood what it means to come to discover the grace of God. And we saw in chapter 1 the way in which he puts everything into the context of the sovereignty of God and the sovereign grace of God that God freely chooses, that God adopts, that God calls, that God brings people to himself in order to give them that inheritance which he has prepared for his people. And then at the end of chapter 1, we saw the first of his prayers where he was praying that they would understand the grace of God the way that he understood it himself and that by understanding it, they would be able to have confidence in the challenges that they faced in Ephesus. Tonight we want to look at this second prayer in, in, in this letter and want to, to do so against the background of what he has prayed in chapter 1 and also what he has said since then. And we see that at verse 14, we read the words, for this reason. And we see that he has the same words at the beginning of chapter 3. So he starts in chapter 3, for this reason, and then he goes off on a detour and he comes back. But for the reason that they are found in Christ and they are one in Christ, that they are the people of God, for this reason, he now wants to pray for them. And as we move into to study his prayer, we, we see that he understands the parenthood of God. He comes to pray to bear before the Father. We see the way in which he understands the power of God because of the way in which this God is the one on whom, from whom every family in heaven and earth is named. There is the parenthood of God, there is the power of God, and there is also Paul's own passion. Because the Jew would come to stand in the presence of God to pray. But here Paul comes to bow the knee before God the Father. It's a passionate plea. 
to the God whom he knows as his Father and the God whom he understands to be the all-powerful God who is the Father of every family in heaven and on earth. And from that place of passion, he launches into this prayer that is so powerful and so broad and so deep and indeed so high that as we consider it together, we are simply dipping our toes into the very shore of this prayer, knowing that it brings us into the depths of all that God has done. And so in trying to step into his thinking in his prayer with regard to this church in Ephesus, we want tonight to to think of this prayer as a prayer for presence, for progress and for perfection. First of all, we have a prayer for presence. At verse 16, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through the Spirit in your inner being. He recognizes that they are weak. He recognizes that they need to be strengthened. In many ways, he recognizes that they are weak because they are little children. And he wants them to be strengthened. It's that kind of growth in childhood that we do read of in Luke chapter 1 with regard to John the Baptist. The child grew and became strong in spirit. He wants them to be strong. And the very way in which he begins his prayer puts the whole emphasis on what God is going to do for them. That you will be strengthened. They are passive in in the way in which God is going to work. They are objects of, of, of God's grace. And God comes into their lives and he is the one who is going to give them strength. And he's going to do so in the only way that God can strengthen the children whom he has called to be his children. Strengthened with power. That sense of ability and capability. That sense of of being able to do something. That sense of having within themselves the ability to do the things that God requires them to do. And back in, in the first prayer, he spoke about the immeasurable greatness of the power of God toward us to believe. And that immeasurable greatness of the power of God is the power that worked when he raised Jesus from the dead. It cannot be measured. And though he wants them to be strengthened in their weakness with the immeasurable power of God so that they will grow and be strong and so that they will no longer be children in Ephesus in their faith, tossed to and fro by every wind and breath of doctrine, that they will be strong in spirit. And if it is only through that power that God can work, it is that power that is available to God and to them with power through a spirit in your inner being 
according to his riches in glory. According to the abundance of the goods that God possesses. The rich man has more than, is more than satisfied in the sense that he has more than enough of everything. Surrounded by riches. Everything speaks of, of, of being rich. Showing off the riches that the rich man has. And here there are, there are, we have the riches of his glory. And we may well ask, where are these riches held? Where is the vault where these riches are to be found? Where is the storehouse where God has such riches? And when we read through this letter itself, it reminds us that the vault is not a room or a place. That the storehouse is not a cupboard in a corner. But that the storehouse and the vault of the riches is nothing less than the person of Jesus Christ, God's Son. The riches of your glory, of his glory, we can say in, in Christ Jesus. My God, says Paul, is able to supply all of your needs from his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. He is praying for them in the light of the fact that Jesus of Nazareth is crowned Lord of all and he has these riches in his own person to give, to disperse to all those who are his children. And so his, his very prayer for their strength brings us to, to the center of everything that God has done. That according to these riches, moving down from there, that they will flood into their lives that which is going to give them strength. And he, he builds a, a staircase, a, a stepping up of, of the way in which that is going to happen. He's going to do so through his spirit in your inner being. The spirit of God, the spirit with which Jesus was raised from the dead, the spirit which is granted to them, through that spirit, they are going to be strengthened in their inner being. We saw in last week's prayer the way in which the eyes of their hearts were to be enlightened. Their inner beings were going to be moved in such a way as to, to enjoy the, the, their awareness of, of Christ and of his power so that their self-awareness becomes their awareness of the power of God in Christ. And how, how wonderful a, a transformation that surely is. To pray for one another tonight that, that our self-awareness will be our awareness of, of Jesus Christ and of his power and of his Holy Spirit in our hearts. That our minds, our, our wills, our affections, all that make us what we are, 
that they will fill us with a sense of Christ Jesus and of his power. That in the deepest part of our beings and our personality, that we will know the power of God. And surely that is our greatest need, along with being born again, that we will have this power as we come into the kingdom of God and learn about the way in which he wants his children to grow. There is a, a, a beautiful image in the prophecy of Isaiah in chapter 54 where God is promising to bless his people and he wants them to, to strengthen themselves so that they're able to contain his blessing, to have the capacity to receive his blessing. And he commands them there, enlarge the place of your tent. Let the curtains of your habitations be stretched out. Lengthen your cords, strengthen your stakes. The promise, the offspring, your offspring will possess the nations. It's the promise of the blessing of God, what God is going to do for them, that they need to be stretched and strengthened to be able to contain and to hold and give a home to the riches of the blessing of God. And tonight, for, for them, for you and for me, that's the strength we need. The strengthening to increase our capacity for God. And oh, my world, my word, how, how small our capacity is. How great is the goodness of God. And how small our hearts are in contrast to that. And God has the purpose of making the greatness of his goodness fit into our hearts. And in order for that to take place, we need to pray this prayer for one another. Let the tent of our heart, let stretch its curtains. Let God in his power, let us pitch your tent further out. And let us do so in preparation for what God is going to do. The presence of God, the preparation that we need to accommodate the blessing of God. And tonight, you can ask yourself the question, how much do I see my heart so small in relation to the blessing of God? And how much do I need to pray for myself? Lord, give me a big heart. Stretch the, the, my, my being to its very limits so that you, you can fill it with, with your blessing. How much do I see my smallness and my need to have my capacity increased to receive the blessing of God? And Paul is, is, is praying that prayer so that the blessing for which they are to be prepared the blessing for which their capacity has to be increased is so that Christ may dwell in your hearts 
through faith. The Christ of God coming to dwell in their hearts. He tells them in chapter 2 and verse 10 that they are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus. As mysterious as that is, it's so easy for us to believe that, that we are in Christ and we are saved. But here is a prayer that that Christ in whom our salvation is found and to whom we are united, that he will now come and dwell in our hearts. And in praying that prayer, there is, there is a way in which Paul is specific. When he's praying for Christ to dwell in their hearts, he uses a different word to dwelling in a place for a short time, to be a traveler who stays overnight. In the Greek, he is using the word that, that means in particular a fixed dwelling, and that means in particular that it is the dwelling place of a master, that it is his own home to which he is coming to dwell. And that's so much part of the beauty of, of the grace of God tonight, that your heart is the home of the Lord Jesus, that he is master of your life, and that what he wants and what Paul is praying for is that, that the Christ whose home your heart is will actually come and dwell in your heart. And of course, if we are saved, we already believe in Jesus, and by the Spirit of God, Christ dwells in our hearts. But there is a, a sense in which, through faith, that sense of the presence of Christ will increase more and more so that the life that we live, in Paul's own words, the life that we now live by faith in Jesus Christ, it's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. It is the growth and the development of my inner being and my relationship with the Lord Jesus. Don Carson, in writing on this prayer, he uses the illustration of, of a young couple and they're, they're, they bought their first home. It's not what they wanted to be, but it's their home. And they move into that home and they begin to, to, to refurbish and to restore and to modernize that home to make that home what they want it to be. But they are thankful that this is their first home together. And as Don Carson goes on to say, when Christ by his Spirit takes up residence within us, he finds the moral equivalent of mounds of trash, black and silver wallpaper, a leaking roof. He sets about turning his residence into a place appropriate for him, a home in which he is comfortable. There will be a lot of cleaning to do, quite a few repairs, and some much-needed expansion. But his aim is clear. He wants to take up residence in our hearts as we exercise our faith in him. That Christ may dwell in our hearts by faith. And how much tonight we, we, 
we need this prayer for one another so, so that God will take away the rubbish. That he will take away all traces of, of a life spent in the service of sin. That he will place all of that black and silver wallpaper with all that shines of his own beauty and of his own glory. That he will create extensions in our lives to accommodate him so that, that he will come and, and take up his permanent residence with us, praying for the presence of God in Jesus Christ, praying that Christ will dwell in our hearts. And we do well to pray this prayer for ourselves. And if we understand the way in which God works, the spotlight will fall so very often on what we are that we should not be. The things that are there that should not be there. And Paul, in writing to Colossians, and later on this letter itself, he speaks about the way in which the earthly things are to be put to death. They are to be done the new person who is renewed in, in the knowledge of God and who is transformed and changed after the image of Christ. A prayer for the presence of Jesus. Let's tonight confess the smallness of how we accommodate the Lord Jesus. Let's pray for his work to take place, to make the hearts bigger for himself. And let's be ready to, to embrace all that he brings in order to make our home a place in which he will dwell with us always. And so that day by day we will know his power and his grace and, and the riches of the glory of God that are only found in him. The presence. Secondly, we see that he prays for progress. And as he prays for progress, he wants to remind them, first of all, who they are. In the middle of verse 17, that you being rooted and grounded in love. Paul cannot speak of the people of God without thinking of the love of God. He spoke of the sovereign grace of God, and we see the, the way in which he, he speaks of them at the end of verse 4 and in verse 5 of chapter 1. In love he predestined us for adoption to himself, as sons through Jesus Christ. Salvation is all about the love of God. God so loved the world. God is love. This is love that God sent his son into the world to be the propitiation for our sins. The love of God. And he wants them to, to recognize who they are. And to do so with regard to their very origin as the children of God. And he has two images here that, that speak of how secure they are. And one of them speaking about the way in which they are growing up and bearing fruit. 
and the other Bethuin, which they are being built up as a as a residence for for Christ to dwell in, being rooted in love. We saw in Psalm one the wind, which the man of God, the, the righteous person, is like a a tree planted by the river. And so here is Paul using a similar idea. They they are rooted in God's love, and all that they are is fed from and, and has its beginning in, in, in the love of God and the passion of Jesus Christ. That's where their roots are. That's what gives them life. That's what makes them the children of God. And it is so helpful to, in, our, in our prayers to, to encourage one another to know who we are it's basic and fundamental to our prayers because we cannot pray for anyone unless we understand where they are. But we recognize the children of God. And here is the first image rooted in love. And that's the tree in the garden. That's the vine in the vineyard. As they bear fruit, we we marvel at the beauty that comes from what is hidden, the seed that was hidden in the soil and the way in which it grows and, and the way in which the roots, the more the plant develops, the way in which the, the roots go down into the soil. And Jesus is the, the, the root and offspring of David. And our roots are in him. And our roots in that way are, are, are in the life that there is in the person of Jesus. Your life is his life. His life is what runs through your life. You're rooted in the love of God, in the person of Jesus, and in all that he is and does. And in the same way, grounded in that love, it's a foundation on which their lives are built and built up. And the more they are, they are built up with, in a sense, different stories of, of the way in which the, the high-rise block of flats of their lives and the way in which each level is filled up by more of the presence of God. It's on a sure foundation. The storms may come, the winds may blow, but they will stand firm because they are built on the rock which is Christ. You, rooted and grounded in love. Let's not ever lose sight of what we already are and what God has already made us. Let's grasp the, the beauty of the living and lively security that is ours as those who are rooted in him. And because that is the case, because we have that beginning, Paul now prays for progress. That you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all saints what is the breadth and length and height, height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that passes knowledge. He has prayed that they will be strengthened with power, and now he is praying that they may have that strength. The same idea, the, the, the sense of having the power and ability to have that 
present strength, not something that they need, but something that they actually have. And that strength is now used in a particular way. And it is to comprehend with all of the people of God. Simply said, it is to be able to grasp the love of God, to lay hold of it. In other words, it is so that they will appreciate how great the love of God is. It's breadth and length and height and depth, no matter where we are and where we go to, east or west, up or down, no matter where we go to, the love of Christ will find us and will reach us and will rescue us and will surround us and will deliver us in God's loving plan of redemption. He wants them to appreciate that love more. And if we are honest with ourselves tonight, as much as we say that we love the Lord Jesus, as much as we say that we love God, as much as we understand of the love of God from the word of God, we don't really appreciate it the way that we should. And there are two reasons for that. And the first is that we simply don't give of our mental activity and of our time to enter into our living relationship with our Saviour, to, to, to experience more and more of his love. We don't appreciate because we don't apply ourselves and we don't devote ourselves. But the second way in which we need to be able to appreciate the love of, of, of God in Christ is that it is so great and there are, there are, there's so much scope for our appreciation to grow that our appreciation will never stop growing if we understand the love of God aright. And that's what he wants them to grasp here. The vastness of the love of God, it surpasses knowledge. He wants them to, to know that love, to know it in an experiential way. And it is, in a sense, dipping your toes into the, the, the ocean of the redeeming love of God and appreciate, appreciate it the more that we, that we step out into that ocean, the more that we sail on it in, in, in the gospel ship of faith, the more that we sail on it into, into its very depths, that we grow in our appreciation. And the more we do grow in our appreciation, the more we will understand that this is more than we can ever understand because it's such a great love. It's such a, an eternal love. It has no bounds and no limits. Growing in appreciation in our experience of the love of God. The progress. How much do we appreciate? Is it a passing sense of glancing at 
the great love of God and moving on from it? Or do we really appreciate its riches and its fullness? And is, is it something that takes up all of our attention? Is it something that we want to grasp more and more? Is it something that we want to journey on into and grow in our understanding and our experience of all that the love of God in Christ means? Progress. We are never happy with coming to discover the love of God. Our happiness comes from discovering how great it is and from appreciating the greatness of the love of God and the way in which Jesus himself speaks of his love. Greater love has no more than this than that one would lay down his life for his friends. Progress. A growing appreciation of the great love of God. And finally, there is a prayer for perfection. To know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. They are no longer full, they're not yet full. He has prayed for increased capacity. And that prayer for increased capacity brings us to this final level where he wants them to be filled up completely. And we have noticed from time to time that, that this word that is used for fulfilling is found in the, against the background of, of fully manning a ship. That until the ship is fully manned, it's not, not ready to sail and in that sense, he wants their lives, he wants their hearts, he wants them to be fully manned and to be filled up with the grace of the gospel, filled up with the fullness of God. And we might well ask, if we're going to understand that the way that it is written, we might well ask, how can we be filled as finite human beings, filled with the God who is infinite, whose love is surpassing knowledge, whose power is a measure of great, how can we be filled with his fullness? The simple answer is, we cannot. What Paul is praying for is their perfection in the sense of their maturity. And we, we can read the words like this, that you may be filled up into the fullness or the maturity that God has designed and prepared for you. And we, we see in chapter 4 the way in which he is praying that they will all attain mature manhood, the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. In chapter 4, verse 13 that's the maturity. That's the fullness. It's not that God is, God's fullness is going to be accommodated in them, but that their development and their progress through the presence of Christ with them will bring them to that level of perfection that ultimately comes for sure when they are presented 
in glory before him. But that's the trajectory. That's where, that's where God is taking them. That's where, where this prayer is taking them. And tonight, that's where this prayer takes ourselves. God wants us no longer to be children in the sense of being tossed to and fro in the storms of life. He wants us to grow up into this measure of, of full maturity to be Christ-like in our living, in our, in our thinking, in our loving, in our walking, in everything that we do to reach that sense of development and maturity. And we know that the child grows and they are mature in accordance with their years. And if their maturity is, is less than, than their years, then something has gone wrong. And we see the same in the kingdom of God. There is a maturity that's in line with, with their, their, their time on their journey of faith with God. And the prayer is that God will continue to, to bring them forward so that their maturity is always in line with their years of faith until at last the work of God is done. And God calls them into his own presence and until God says to them, well done, good and faithful servant. Until God sees the image of his own son in them and is delighted that those who are created in Christ Jesus, the workmanship of God, that at last they stand in all the beauty of the children of God as those who are in the image of the Son of God and there to be the delight of God forever and for them also to delight in a new and living way in the glory of Christ, in the riches of his grace, in, in the want which he is that contains all of the riches of God to glory in his presence and will do so with all the saints, with all of the people of God. And so may God help us to, to pray this prayer for ourselves and for each other because we need more of the presence of Jesus in our lives. We need to progress and grasp more and appreciate more and we need to be mature and to look forward to that final moment of the likeness of Christ that will be a joy to the God who has created us for himself. May God bless his word to us. Let us pray.